0: This is the full episode of Look Out, Choose Your Own Danger Zone, written by Aaron Robbins. This episode is intended for daring ears nine and older. On a scale where one is not scary at all, the kids' scare score for this episode is a two out of ten.
1: Welcome to Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. My name is Edward Eerie, Chief Uncover Near at Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. If you're experiencing something odd or unusual, give my agency a ring and leave a message on the machine. For those unconvinced of our proficiency in handling peculiar predicaments, please listen to the following client testimonial message, which speaks to our ability in correcting conundrums. Please note... Our answering machine alters the age and tone of the caller's voice in case a mimic machine or grim personator is listening. And now, another mysterious message left on my machine. Thank you for calling Mr Eerie's disturbing detective agency. Please leave a message with a detailed account of your odd or unusual occurrence. If your breakfast cereal has become self-aware and thinks it's a 1980s rock star, please dial extension 8675309. All other callers should provide an address so further information can reach you free of Eve's dropping ears. Now, prepare yourself, for the beep waits for no one.
0: answering machine? Figures. With the week I'm having, what did I expect? Maybe an adult to help when needed? No, I was on my own this week, and it was quite the ride. I have a question for you, Mr. Eerie. I'm sure you have rules about giving out disturbing documents. After all, everyone has rules. Just like our bus drivers. What bus stop a student can get off at, what roads they can drive. There's lots of rules at school, and I'm sure the same is true for detective agencies but maybe after you hear what I have to say, you'll bend the rules for me because you'll never believe what happened at school today. I guess I'm lucky. I live in the city of Granger, home of the Gal Granger's Gelatin Factory. Maybe you don't like ice pops, fudge, and pudding, so you don't count that as luck. But maybe you'd change your mind if I told you our middle school cafeteria was chock full of more desserts than a grocery store that had nothing but dessert aisles. No? Well, that's not the only reason I'm lucky. At Granger Middle School, some students get to hang out in the library as their last class of the day. I'm one of those kids. It's called different things at different schools. Study period. Enrichment. Or... A free period. I call it the get all your homework done before you get home period. I think I'm alone in using that title. Most kids don't study. Most kids pull out their binders and proceed to talk the entire period. The chatter doesn't bother me. But Zeke Dorian. He's in my study period and he drives me nuts. Zeke Dorian is the non-studying type. He's also the kid who, last week, dumped out my art binder onto the floor. Maybe it was a joke but I didn't think it was funny. I told the teacher what Zeke had done and she asked for his side of the story. I was helping Edward learn the proper use of a three ring binder. He said, smirk and all. Art shouldn't be in the side pockets where it can fly away, Zeke continued. You have to three ring them or they could get lost. After this explanation, Zeke scooped up several of my drawings and punched holes in them using the three hole punch. My hands shot up in the air in protest. It was a gesture that was supposed to signal disbelief and outrage. I'd thought my teacher would be outraged as well, but she wasn't. Edward, she said. The holes didn't go through the important parts of your turkey man drawing. It's a griffin, I said. Well, the griffin looks like it can still fly to me and Mr. Dorian has a good point. Your art can't be flying all over the place. I couldn't believe he got away with it. As I walked back to my desk, Zeke gave me a smile and shrugged. I think he was surprised he got away with it, too. Two can play this game, I thought. Truth be told, I didn't know if I could play it. I'm not the thing Zeke is. I'm not quick or funny or intimidating. I'm a quick reader, but I'm not sure that counts for a lot at Granger Middle School. I'm also observant. And since that day, I've been looking for a way to repay Zeke for dumping my drawings out. Well, today, Mr. Eerie, it happened. And it happened during 7th period study. It began like any other day. I sat at the round table near the book stacks and worked on my homework. Zeke and his friends, Trish Lee and this kid we call Thud, were sitting by the front windows. They had their homework binders out and upright in what I call the dungeon master position. They weren't playing a role-playing game. They were just using the binders to shield their conversation. You know what the dungeon master binder position is, right, Mr. Eerie? When you set a book or binder upright on its bottom edge. Tell me you've played an RPG before. It takes a group of three or more to play. But here's some good news. There are these amazing books called choose-your-own-outcome books. They're like single-player RPGs. The only downside is that the choices you can make are fixed. You can't do anything you want, like in a proper role-playing game. Nevertheless, I love those choose-your-own-outcome books. The school library has a bunch of them, and I've read every one. Well, I thought I had. Today, after I finished my homework, there was still time left in the study period. So I went to the adventure book section and looked through the shelves. Here's a little tip for you, Mr. Eerie. There's space in between the book racks at our school. And sometimes, books fall back there. Today, I found an old choose-your-own-outcome book wedged between the racks. It looked like an early edition because it didn't have a number and was on larger than usual paper. It also appeared to be typed with a home typewriter. Was this a prototype? A first edition, maybe? It didn't matter. There was a big library checkout card glued to the inside, so that would have made it a lot less valuable if it were a collectible. Plus, it belonged to the school. I took it to the counter and Edward Dunley became the first person to check out the book entitled Choose Your Own Outcome and the Danger Zone by Bartholomew Thorne. I was about to dig into some old-school choice-making adventure when I heard noise at the other end of the library. Something was happening out on the blacktop, and everyone was scrambling to see what it was. Typically, this type of commotion means someone tripped is getting in trouble, or two kids are having a physical disagreement. I thought about going over to the window. I like commotion as much as the next person. But just as I was about to walk over, I noticed something more interesting. Zeke, Trish, and Thud had left their binders unattended. While their foreheads were pressed against the library windows, I snuck over to their binders. With steady hands, I opened the latch on Zeke's three-ring homework binder. Does it look obvious? I wondered. Would they notice? Maybe. I had to make a choice. Leave the rings open and get away without being seen. Or try to hide the open rings but risk getting caught. I decided the open rings were too obvious. They had to be hidden. I checked to make sure Zeke, Trish, and Thud were still distracted by the drama outside. They were. Then, without making a sound, I folded over the right facing page on Zeke's notebook so it covered the rings. Perfect, I thought. I headed back to my seat, picked up the Choose Your Own Outcome book, and began to read as if reading was what I'd been doing this whole time The Danger Zone. It looked interesting. I read to page three. So far, the only choice at the bottom of the pages was to turn to the next one. The danger zone was apparently about a mysterious yellow sports car escaping from a top-secret area. The wording got more dramatic as I read, and I could feel the first decision point coming up. But before I got to it, the end-of-day bell rang. I put my things away while keeping an eye on Zeke's binder. My heart was pounding. Zeke walked over, still talking to Trish and Thud. He wasn't looking at the binder at all. I probably could have made it more obvious and he still wouldn't have noticed. His hands reached out for the binder. Then, right then, it happened. Zeke pulled it off the table, and all the paper spilled out onto the floor. It was a perfect mess. And I felt terrible. I thought only a few pages might come loose, but the heaviness of the binder made the spine collapse, causing every page to slide off the rings. It looked like a tornado had hit the library right where Zeke was sitting. Students laughed, hooted, and commented on the impossibility of getting the paper back in the same order. And that made me feel worse. Because this wasn't the same as art. This was his homework. Stuff that's graded. I thought about going over to help Zeke pick up his stuff. Should I? It seemed like the right thing to do, but he might yell at me or push me over. He'd definitely know it was me who did it. And that would be a very bad thing. On the other hand, wouldn't Trish and Thud help him? Maybe I'd just be adding insult to injury if I went over there. I decided it was better to not get involved. I walked behind the book stacks and left through the library's side door. Zeke walks home, and I take the bus. So all I had to do was get to bus 5, sit in the front next to Mrs. Terry, our driver, and I was home free. Well, nearly home free. Trish and Thud ride my same bus. But they get off before me, and Mrs. Terry doesn't allow a lot of unruliness on her bus. I jogged across the concrete to the bus corral. Bus 5 is usually near the back, closest to the library, and today was no exception. Even better, the double doors were already open. I hopped up the steps onto the bus, eager to take the front seat next to Miss Terry. She's probably the best driver at Granger Mid. You can tell her anything without using names or details, and she understands. She's really good at making sense of middle school messes. I thought maybe I'd tell her about the binder prank after Trish and Thud got off. But when I boarded the bus, Miss Terry wasn't there. Maybe she's running late, I thought. Or out talking with the other drivers. I sat on the front bench seat, opposite the driver, and slid my backpack underneath it. I put the choose-your-own-outcome book next to me on the seat. This lets other kids know the seat is taken. Or, more accurately, you don't want to sit next to anyone. I looked out the window to see if Miss Terry was talking to the other drivers. I couldn't tell. Nerves started to rumble in my gut. What if Trish and Thud got on before Mrs. Terry did? Would they try something? I decided it wasn't worth worrying about. They didn't know I was the one that messed with the binder. And besides, if Trish and Thud were helping Zeke clean up, they could be a while. This gave me plenty of time to look busy. To look so engrossed in what I was doing that maybe I didn't know anything about malfunctioning binders. The book would be a good cover. Nothing like sticking your nose in a book to tell others you haven't been paying attention to the real world. I picked up where I left off. On page 4 of Danger Zone, it read, You grasp the steering wheel of your yellow sports car, heart racing as you speed away from the top-secret compound. The stolen documents are secured in a briefcase on the passenger seat. The engine's roar matches the pounding in your chest as you navigate through the grid of city streets. Sirens wail in the distance, a clear sign that your heist has been uncovered. You're nearly clear of downtown when a semi-truck carrying hot fudge crashes ahead of you. The truck rolls over, spilling all its hot fudge onto the street. Your way seems blocked. You have only a split second to react. Do you drive through the mess of melting desserts and hope to get away? Or do you back up and try to find a safer way to get around? Drive through a mess of melting fudge? That sounded like the right answer to me. Playing it safe doesn't pay in choose-your-own-outcome books. To drive through the melting fudge, turn to page 9, the book said. I did, and I was disappointed to find it was a dead end. A dead end is what the end of a story path is called in these books, and they mean dead as in dead. In this case, the book said this. The air is thick with the smell of fudge. You press down on the yellow sport car's accelerator, and the car responds. You bolt into the sugary mess. A second later, fudge envelops your car but it seems you'll punch through to the other side. Then, with a powerful surge, the fudge rises, cradling your car in its gooey embrace. You lose control of the car as the river of fudge lifts the wheels gently off the ground and sweeps you toward the edge of a cliff. You try to free yourself from the car, but the doors are held shut by the thick padding of fudge. Your car balances on the edge before one final flow of fudge pushes it over the edge. At least the last thing you smell is sweet. That's what a dead end sounds like. The great thing about these books is that you can backtrack to where you last made a mistake and keep reading. I chose the other option and turned to page 7. It wasn't as exciting an option, but at least the book went on. The yellow sports car backed up, found an alternate road that led into the city. A few miles later, the road split into two and I got to make another choice. The authorities were right on the car's tail, and construction work made it impossible to make turns. Then, the road split into two and you had to decide. Drive into a dark tunnel where there may be a roadblock. Or drive into a tight alley where you might get stuck. I have to tell you, Mr. Eerie, I found myself really into this book. I almost forgot I was sitting on the bus. The prank in the library had become a distant memory. Then two voices caused me to close the book and snap back to reality. It was Trish and Thud, and they were coming up the bus steps. Please, let them walk right by me, I thought. Let them just walk right by, and then I'll be in the clear. Like Zeke with my artwork, I'll have gotten away with it. I didn't want to make eye contact with the two. They'd see the guilt all over my face. So I flipped the book over and pretended to read the backside. Danger Zone is a high-speed adventure whose goal is to highlight transportation safety. Written by Bartholomew Thorne, a longtime safety manual writer. I wasn't even processing the words. I was just reading them to appear busy. Then, pink plastic shoes stopped in the aisle next to my seat. Behind them, dirty hiking boots with the laces untied. It was Trish and Thud. Don't look up, I thought. Just look busy. Keep reading. But the pink plastic shoes tapped the black rubber-lined bus aisle. Louder and louder. Finally, I broke. I turned and gave Trish a glance. Her arms were crossed and wow, did she have a mean look on her face. We know it was you, Trish said. There were really only two options here. Play it dumb and hope they buy it. Or come clean and hope my confidence scared them away. I gulped. You know what was me, I asked. Choosing to play dumb. You know what, Trish said, tightening the fold of her arms. I shrugged. Thud leaned over Trish's shoulder. When Zeke gets here, Thud said. You in big trouble. I took this opportunity to point out Trish and Thud's error. Too bad Zeke doesn't ride the bus, I said. Thud closed his hand into a fist and smacked it into the palm of his other hand. He leaned towards me, twisting the fist slowly and hard. Joke's on you because today, he does. The word sent a tiny surge of panic through my body. What did that mean? You can't just decide to ride the bus. There's a process you have to go through. Forms, papers, a signature. I was about to respond when I heard a noise. It was Miss Terry. Trish and Thud stood up, kicked my backpack, and then scurried off to the back of the bus. I felt relieved. Finally, Miss Terry was here. She wouldn't let Zeke on the bus. She wouldn't even let him on the steps. The bus rocked a little as Miss Terry came up the steps. I was about to say something like, you walk like you drive, slow. Miss Terry would have laughed if it were her coming up the steps, but it wasn't. It was someone else. A tall man, somewhere between the age of my dad and grandpa emerged at the top of the steps. He had white hair slicked back like a helmet and eyebrows trimmed into perfect rectangles. He wore wire-rimmed glasses with lenses just dark enough that I couldn't see his eyes. He was wearing a gray suit that was two sizes too big. There was something kind of nice about a bus driver dressing up. This is bus five, right? He asked. I nodded. He grabbed the clipboard next to the bus's PA mic. When's the last time the brakes were inspected? I shrugged. There was an awkward silence before the man let out a sincere chuckle. I'm just pulling your leg, he said. Where's Miss Terry? I asked. sick he said. I'm Mr. Bart, substitute bus driver, and don't worry, he added. My driving record is squeaky clean. He waited for me to show interest in the comment. When I did, he pulled out a crinkled paper license from his suit pocket and held it forward like a police badge. Yep, he said. I sent it through the wash this morning. I forced a laugh and then raised the choose-your-own-outcome book above my eyes. Books are great at sending nonverbal signals. And this signal said, I didn't want to talk anymore. Whoa, danger zone, Mr. Bart exclaimed. Is it any good? I really didn't want to answer. I wanted Mr. Bart to close the bus doors. I wanted this substitute bus driver to start the engine and pull away. Just do your job and get us out of here, I thought. Away from the library, away from Zeke. But he couldn't. There were still a few kids getting on, so he kept talking. So, have you made it out of the danger zone? He asked. Little did he know, this bus, with its doors open, was the danger zone. I just started reading it, I said. Well, hopefully you survive, Mr. Bart said while pressing the starter button on the bus. The bus growled, coughed, and then the engine rumbled to life. Finally, Mr. Bart wrapped his hands around the silver door lever and pulled it shut. The double doors closed. I was safe. A sound like a roller coaster stop meant the brakes had been released. And we would finally be on our way. But just as the bus began to move, I heard a loud thump. Not thumps, but pounding. Knocking. And it was coming from the bus doors. The bus jerked to a stop. The doors opened. Thanks for stopping. Sorry I'm late. I was helping clean up the library. It was the voice of Zeke Dorian. My heart sank. Well, that's awfully nice of you. Said Mr. Bart Zeke looked at me And then back at Mr. Bart Just trying to help Our librarians and bus drivers Are overworked and underpaid He said Indeed Said Mr. Bart While grabbing a clipboard Well Mr. Nice Guy What's your name? Zeke gave it to him And I felt a glimmer of hope Mr. Bart ran his finger down the paper Scanning what I presumed Was the student manifest Nope He said I don't see an Ezekiel Dorian On this list That's right I thought Kick him off Open those doors and send Zeke packing. Zeke handed a piece of paper over to Mr. Bart. I could tell by the color it was a change of transportation note. I'd used one a few weeks ago to go to the dentist. Ick. My mom couldn't get out of work in time, so she had me ride a different bus to the dentist's office downtown. She met me there. But let me tell you, Mr. Eerie, getting three cavities filled in a single visit is not something I recommend. I watched Mr. Bart look over Zeke's bus note. This is your principal's signature? He asked. Yep said Zeke. It wasn't. I knew in my heart it wasn't. Zeke had forged it. Was Mr. Bart going to take his word for it or call Zeke's bluff? The bus was silent as we waited for the outcome. Have a seat, Mr. Bart said. Zeke smirked at me as he walked toward the back of the bus. The doors shut and we pulled away from the school. It turns out I was wrong. Waiting for the bus to leave wasn't the danger zone. But now, with Zeke, Trish, and Thud on the bus and without Miss Terry, I was heading right for it. As the bus drove away from school, I tried to come up with a plan. Maybe I could get off at the first stop. After all, Mr. Bart had let Zeke on with a forged note. Maybe he'd let me get off at whatever stop I wanted. It was my only choice. Or so I thought. A few seconds later, Mr. Bart grabbed the PA mic and made an announcement. There's been a small change of plans, he said. Trouble at the gelatin factory? Don't worry, he assured us. I'm an expert in transportation safety. In sort of an ironic twist that would have been funny at any other time, just as Mr. Bart said, expert in transportation safety, we drove over a speed bump. He hadn't slowed down for it at all, probably thinking about the news he'd just received on the radio. The bus thumped into the air and thudded back to the ground. Sorry about that, said Mr. Bart. You know what they say about speed bumps? No one ventured an answer to his question. They're very uplifting, Mr. Bart chuckled. Still thinking my hop off the bus plan was a possibility, I got ready to make my escape. I looked for my backpack under the seat, but it wasn't there. Straining my back, I leaned over as far as it could. There it was, three rows back. The speed bump must have caused it to slide. How was I going to get it back? I turned to get the attention of the third row. But just as I did, Mr. Bart's voice boomed over the microphone. There's trouble up ahead, he said. Everyone remain calm, stay in your seats. I turned back around and looked out the front windows. There was something up ahead. It looked like lava was flowing across the road. But it wasn't red and fiery, it looked dark and creamy. What is it? I asked. I think it's pudding from the factory, chocolate pudding. What do we do? I said. Mr. Bart looked at me. Uh, I don't know. This wasn't in the training manual. I watched Mr. Bart's hands grip the steering wheel. I'm going for it, he said. Going for it? I questioned. Mr. Bart pressed on the accelerator, and the bus rumbled with new speed. We'll blast right through it, he said. Mr. Bart, I said. I don't think that's a good idea. Why not? Danger zone. The book. There was something very similar in it, and it didn't turn out well. In fact, it led to a dead end. It'll carry us away, I said. The pudding, it'll lift us off the ground and carry us to who knows where. Mr. Bart chuckled. I doubt that, he said. He put the bus pedal to the metal and we hurtled toward the river of pudding crossing the road. The front of the bus smooshed into it, sending pudding sludge flying into the air. The front of the bus lifted as pudding pushed us upward. We're losing control, I said. The front of the bus began to turn sideways into the flow of rich, sugary gelatin. Back up, I said. Hurry, back up. Gears grinded as Mr. Bart searched for reverse. Finally, he found it and floored the bus in the opposite direction. A rooster tail of dark pudding erupted from the bus's two front tires. A minute later, we were free of the pudding and driving backwards down the road. Turn around, I yelled, seeing that the flow of pudding was increasing. It's coming for us. We have to go another way. We sped away from the pudding as its jelly-like banks chased the bus. Is everyone okay? Mr. Bart asked. The bus nodded in agreement. Everyone was shook up, but no one was hurt. Mr. Bart made a left and we barreled down the road. I looked back at Zeke. For some reason, he didn't look mean anymore. He looked concerned. Just then, I smelled something. It was an odd smell, especially coming from a school bus. It smelled like chocolate cake that had been left in the oven too long. I was trying to figure out what was making the smell when I heard Mr. Bart. Oh no! He yelled. What's wrong? I asked. Trouble. Big trouble! He said. I looked out the front window. Up ahead, the road split into two and there was a brick wall in the middle. Stop! I screamed, we're going to hit that wall. I watched Mr. Bart's legs jam on the brakes like he was trying to stomp out a fire. But the bus didn't stop. Why aren't we slowing down? I asked. The brakes, he said. They must be all jammed full of pudding. The road inclined down, and we gained speed. As we got closer to the wall and where the road split, I saw something. The left hand split went into a dark tunnel, the right hand split down a narrow alley. I felt a sudden jolt when I realized something. Weren't these the same choices in Danger Zone? I opened the book and thumbed to where I'd left off. At the bottom of the page, there were two choices. Turn to page 32 to drive down the dark tunnel, or turn to page 47 to drive down the narrow alley. Without hesitation, I turned to page 32. I scanned the words which read, You discover the tunnel is a one-way road and you're headed the wrong direction. Red and blue flashes illuminate the tunnel ahead of you as police cars materialized, blocking the way forward. You swerve and slam into the side of the tunnel. I stopped reading and turned the page. Choosing the tunnel led to a dead end. I backtracked and flipped over to page 47. I didn't even read the words. At the bottom of the page, I saw two choices, and that was good news. It meant that choice wasn't a dead end. Turn down the alley, I yelled. You sure? Confirmed Mr. Bart. Just then, a series of cars whizzed out of the tunnel, almost hitting the bus. They were police cars, but they weren't after us. They must be responding to the accident at the factory, I said. Mr. Bart nodded. That was a close one, he said. We're not out of it yet. Mr. Bart turned the steering wheel hard. He lined up the bus with the entrance to the alley. It was going to be close. I hope we fit, he said. Unable to slow down, we entered the alley at what felt like light speed. There was no more than a foot on either side of the bus. The walls of businesses and garages whizzed by right outside my window. Then a sign. A bad sign. A sign I wasn't expecting. It said, Dead end. No turnaround. We're in trouble, said Mr. Bart. I opened the book and kept reading. It described the same situation we were in. The sports car raced down a narrow alley that dead-ended at two large warehouses. The warehouse doors were open and the reader had to pick which warehouse to drive through. One was filled with racing car parts. The other was filled with party supplies. I flipped to page numbers next to the choices. The party supply warehouse led to an encounter with clowns and a dead end. The race car parts warehouse was the right choice because it kept the story going. I put the book down and turned toward Mr. Bart. You have to trust me, I said. Up ahead where the alley ends, there's going to be a race car warehouse and a party supply warehouse. Choose to drive through the race car warehouse. It's the only way out. Mr. Bart looked at me. Are you sure? No, I said. But that's normal for a middle schooler, so don't worry. A few seconds later, the end of the alley came into view. The alley is a dead end, said Mr. Bart. We're going to crash. No, we're not, I replied, pointing towards the two buildings at the end. See? Just like I told you. Except it wasn't just like I told him. On the right, there was a party supply store, just like in Danger Zone. On the left, there was a warehouse, all right. But it wasn't for race car parts. It was for dental supplies. Ick. Mr. Bart looked at me. I don't see a car parts store, he said. I know, I said. It's different. It's not the same as in the book. Well, which one do I choose, he asked. We're running out of time. I knew the party store was the wrong choice. I didn't know why the other one was different. Just then, I heard a voice behind me. It was Zeke. Go left. Through the dentist's warehouse. Are you sure? I asked. No, he said. But that's normal for a middle schooler, so don't worry. Left, I said. Go left. Mr. Bart cranked the wheel, and we drove through the open dental supply store. Luckily, the other end of the warehouse was open, and Mr. Bart drove right for it. We zipped by boxes of dental supplies, boxes marked UltraCal 30, and canisters of N2O. We launched out of the other side of the warehouse and onto a road leading out of town. I took a deep breath and slumped back into my seat. Zeke slumped down next to me. I don't like going to the dentist he said and going on a school bus ick i laughed me too i said recounting the story of getting 3 fillings in a single day we both laughed we were home free or so i thought the bus drove out of town right past the granger town limit sign we couldn't stop and i guess all the authorities were busy at the factory we were on our own when will we run out of gas i asked mr bart looked at me we have plenty He said with a smile. No, I said. I was wondering when we'd run out so we could coast to a stop. Mr. Bart got up from the driver's seat. If they'd just published my manual, none of this would have happened. No accident, no spills, no dead ends, but they didn't. Said it was preposterous. That no school bus would encounter that many unlikely problems. But I showed him, didn't I, Eddie? It's Edward, I said. Eddie or Edward, Zeke or Ezekiel, doesn't matter. You'll all become the same thing. And what's that? asked Zeke. Mr. Bart paused and ruffled his suit. A cautionary tale, and proof a comprehensive bus safety manual was not a bad idea. He chuckled, hard and loud. Then he reached for his cuff and pressed down on a button. His suit inflated like it had been sewn together with inner tubes. He kicked the door lever open. Enjoy my book, he said. Danger Zone. Great ending. It's a real cliffhanger. He laughed as he jumped out of the bus. We all ran over to the right side windows, watching Mr. Bart, or should I say Bartholomew Thorne, bounce along the road to safety. The bus doors closed and we were without a bus driver. Zeke and I looked at each other. Had that just happened? We looked at the driver's seat. It was empty. I heard shouting from behind, everyone was yelling and pointing out the side window. We passed by a sign that read, Pearls Canyon 1,000 feet ahead. That wouldn't be alarming on its own. But there was more to the sign. A large white banner above it with two orange flags on either side. And that banner sent chills down my spine. Because it read, Bridge under construction. Zeke jumped into the driver's seat. I grabbed the book. I flipped to the end. Sure enough, the race car in the book sped out of town and headed for a canyon. Just like in real life, the bridge in danger zone was out. Luckily, at the bottom of the page, there were two choices. Trust the bridge or jump the canyon. Jump the canyon? How? I scanned the paragraph above the choices. There was a runaway truck ramp. It was under construction as well, but had a lip at the end. Those were the two choices. Page 116 to trust the bridge. Or page 114 to jump the canyon. The higher numbered pages are always the right answer, especially towards the end. I flipped to page 116, trust the bridge and read as quickly as I could. The race car hits a pothole and flies off the bridge into the canyon below. You die, were the last two words on the page. I backtracked and flipped to page 114. No choices at the bottom, but that didn't mean it was a dead end. It could mean the story ended happily. I read. My heart sank as I finished the page. The race car lacked the speed to clear the canyon and plummeted into the canyon. Again, you die, were the last two words on the page. Bartholomew Thorne had hit a book in our library. A choose-your-own-outcome book where there were no good endings. Zeke tapped me on the shoulder. There's a runaway truck ramp coming up, he said. It doesn't have gravel, but maybe, just maybe we can jump the canyon? We can't, I said. How about the bridge? Nope, that won't work either. How do you know? asked Zeke. I just do. It's all in this book. I flopped Danger Zone onto Zeke's lap. He flipped through the pages. So we're going to fall into the canyon, he said. Unless you want to jump off, I said, looking at the speed at which the ground was passing by. We can't, the doors and gas pedal are stuck and the steering wheel barely moves. We have no brakes, no doors, limited steering and we're going like 100 miles an hour. I hate to say it, but I think we're going to hit a dead end. Zeke looked at the book. He had a glimmer in his eye. I knew what he was thinking. Three-ring binder, we both said. If you don't keep pages secure, they're just bound to come loose. Trish joined us at the front of the bus. I hope you know we're about to totally die, she said. No, we're not, said Zeke. We're going to rewrite the book, I said. Trish screamed. Not at the idea. She'd screamed at the canyon edge that was quickly approaching. Zeke jerked the wheel toward the runaway truck ramp. We sped along the gravel pit and then hit the ramp at the end. Bus number 5 launched into the air as I ripped the pages from Danger Zone. We're not going to make it, Zeke said. We don't have enough speed. We need nitro. Nitro? I asked. Nitrous oxide, you know, laughing gas. Laughing gas, I thought. I'd had it when I went to the dentist. N2O. I wrote at the bottom of the truck ramp page. I changed it from a dead end to a simple page turn and the page turn would lead readers to the race car parts warehouse. In our case, this would be a dentist supply warehouse with plenty of nitro. Then, I flipped to that page. Just then, a light flashed on the bus's dash. There it is, yelled Zeke. Nitro! Push it, I said. The bus lurched forward like a rocket. We sailed into the air. We're going to make it, said Trish. Yeah, but we're going to crash into the ground on the other side, said Zeke. The nose of the bus tipped forward and we hurtled back toward the ground at great speed. He was right, we were going to crash, and the bus would crumple like an accordion. Unless we didn't hit the ground. What about pudding, I said. I ripped out the pages for the hot fudge spill and put them right after the warehouse one. Then I wrote, turn to next page at the bottom. I flipped the page, and a sewer drain on the other side exploded with pudding, filling our landing with a bouncy, gelatinous mess of chocolate. We splashed into it and the bus bounced to a stop. The bus doors finally opened. Everyone walked down the steps and waded through Pudding to dry land. We made it, I said to Zeke. Yeah, but we're in the middle of nowhere on the other side of a canyon with no way back. Don't worry, there's a way back, I said. There is? Asked Zeke. He looked around. On what road? I pointed to a nearby hill. Right there, coming out of that tunnel, I said. You must've hit your head, said Zeke, cause there's no road or tunnel over there. Sure there is, I said, putting the alley and tunnel pages at the end of the book. I turned to Page and a tunnel appeared. A few seconds later, police cars raced out from inside it. We were safe and finally out of the danger zone. As you can imagine, Mr. Erie, the people in charge had a lot of questions. I kept my answers short and didn't say anything about the book. Who'd believe me, right? Miss Terry would. That's who. She'd believe me for sure. And that's my question. Should I tell her? Should I tell her the real reason her bus looks like a giant banana split sundae? Thanks for listening and for any help you can offer.
1: Dear Edward, Thank you for contacting Mr. Eerie's disturbing detective agency and for leaving such a complete account of your odd experience. First and foremost, what a wonderful and strong first name you have. Second, there are a great many books in this world. Some of them tell stories that are real, some of them do not. And some books tell stories that are somewhere in between, where what is and what could be collide with imagination in a way that feels so real you can't help but wonder if it is. Bartholomew Thorne is what we in the business call an echo. What he writes echoes in reality. How loud that echo is depends on who's reading it. Danger Zone, in any other hands, may have been harmless, but in yours it led to a bus ride home from school that I'm sure you won't soon forget. Your experience with the book can mean only one thing, Edward. You, like Mr. Thorne, are an echo. Luckily, your bus driver, Miss Terry, is under our employ, and she can assist you in channeling this ability into works that are well-loved and well-lived. As for Bartholomew Thorne, all I can say is we are putting the pedal to the metal in trying to locate him. In good standing, Mr. Edward Eerie, Chief Uncover Near, Mr. Erie's disturbing detective agency. P.S. Given your accuracy in which you summarized key parts of Danger Zone, We are well aware that the book is still in your possession. There are two outcomes for this reality. Use it for good or use it for not so good. Good luck, Edward Dunley. Seeing as you're still in middle school, you haven't escaped the danger zone quite yet. And while that concludes another message from Mr. Eerie's mystery series, it's not the end of our appointment. If you've enjoyed this message and would like to keep independent detective agencies like ours happy and haunt-free, please consider leaving a rating or review. Your support means the world to our agents. Please don't delay leave a rating or review today. Thank you for listening, and as always, we wish you an undisturbing day.